0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is February 2nd. It is Wednesday. Uh, took a little hiatus uh, last week. Our boy Grant was on his honeymoon, so he's fresh off from the beaches of Cancun, um, Tan as ever. Looking bronzing. Yeah, but, you know, we've had a pretty wild week um, since he's come back, I'd say. Obviously, we started the year off down pretty substantially. Uh, S&P, as of today, is down slightly over three, pushing pushing negative four, Uh, because there's been four solid days of growth. Um, Stocks rose for the fourth day straight um alphabet spent fueling tech gains we saw dow jump over 200 points um i mean yeah yields 10 year, uh, yields went back a little bit ending the day at 1.77 uh payroll uh growth in in january was 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 actually a decline right a few hundred thousand uh jobs which is the first time really since the heart of the pandemic uh, used largely due to COVID seasonality, but the markets have shrugged that off and uh, we had some, some big earners this week so far. One big
1: disappointment was Meta Platforms, still hate that name, but Facebook's parent saw that plunge 22% based on the quarterly earnings. They reported earnings per share of 3.67, where uh, below what estimates were at 384 um, some other big movers, we saw Spotify Technologies, the audio streaming company, drop more than 11% as the numbers showed a slowdown in subscriber growth. Also, there is the heated debate over Joe Rogan, and we see some artists like Neil Young and a couple others start to remove their music from Spotify. So we can see how that is going to impact them. Um, one last mover that I think we should talk about, Drew, is, is Alphabet, Google's parent, announced a 20 to 1 stock split. So um, that is a is a big deal because they, I think that's going to end up driving their stock price up, similar to how Apple has has most recently done that about a year and a half ago. Really, the the main driver there is is to bring the sticker shock down, that price down, so more people would would be more willing to. Buy shares of Alphabet. So I think that you're going to see them. You also saw the stock rally uh, after really, really significant earnings.
0: Yeah, I think you're just going to see a lot more trading velocity. Um, as you said, Meta lost all across the board. Uh, you know, from analyst predictions, uh, we're looking at earnings per share or revenue or. All the alphabet soup of, you know, social media companies, daily active users, monthly active users, average revenue per user. Um, Missed them all. They missed them all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Before we go on to the next segment, I guess I'll mention that uh, General Motors' fourth quarter earnings uh, was good. Also, they beat Wall Street's expectations and its 2022 guidance, uh, you know, was, was pleased analysts. Ultimately, they're looking at a $35 billion investment plan in electric and autonomous vehicles going through 2035. So there's just a lot of R&D going um, on, and it's you know they're they're you know they're they're making big moves, I'd say. Um, which I guess brings us to Tesla as well, uh, kind of the last of our stock conversation. We saw Tesla stock soar 8% from an upgrade on Credit Suisse. Um, And yeah, right now you're looking at a 12-month price target of $1,025 per share.
1: And really the upgrade here is looking at the robust fundamentals of this stock. And really the main driver is Tesla still remains to be the front runner in electric vehicles compared to the Fords, the GMs, the, the, the Toyotas, the legacy automakers that are now pivoting into the electronic vehicle industry. But Tesla, they believe, has such a such a head start, and we are seeing Tesla now um, hit their numbers. One thing to keep in mind, though, especially just at, in the automobile industry as a whole, is the shortage of uh, semiconductors with the supply chain issues. So that could be a driver that, that we could see Tesla move up and down with that. Um, we did see other electric vehicle startups, Rivian and Lucid, they had their, on Monday, their their shares jumped up a little bit, um, but then after January, they were underwater as investors were, were pulling out of the, the high growth names amid uh, inflation.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing we should mention is GDP growth uh, at the end of the year. Those numbers are out. Uh, we haven't discussed them yet. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones had been looking at a gain of 5.5%. Uh, GDP blew them out of the water frankly they had an annualized rate of 6.9 percent um, and that these this came out from the uh, the commerce department um, so yeah I mean the increase was was well above the uh the unrevised numbers and it uh, was strong even due to the fact that a lot of this occurred during the spread of omicron
1: I think the biggest stat to look at is if we break down GDP, the consumer activity, which accounts for about two-thirds of GDP, rose 3.3%. That's a, a really big number uh, if you think about how large that consumer activity is, and that really came from increases in private inventory increase and then just overall uh, consumer expenditures, exports and exports, excuse me, and business spending. Um, so really the main driver there is is we are seeing consumer spending in the United States r- still be significantly high even given the the inflation numbers that we're going to talk about later on the pod. Yeah.
0: Um in terms of outlook the international uh, international monetary fund the IMF definitely thinks that the economy is entering a weaker position in 2022. Uh COVID Market volatility, and then big, big reason is uh, severe slowdown in China, um, which which is going to be uh, they're they predicted to grow at 4.8% this year, which is down from which is down 0.8 percentage points from earlier estimates. They're kind of going back to a zero tolerance COVID policy, and they're having uh, obviously there's been big stress amongst property developers, uh, you know Evergrande and, and those kind of scandals and and issues continue. Yeah,
1: it's funny. We were talking about Evergrande for a while there, and it seems like that fell off the map, but they're they're still in trouble. It it makes sense that if you're looking at the global economy, that we're in a weaker position headed into 2022 Mm -hmm. because the two largest economies, the United States and China, have a lot of market volatility and uncertainty right now. You just talked about China, which is really important, but um, if you look at the US, you know, we still have in, inflation. We're still waiting to see what the Fed may move to with their monetary policy. And, and then also in inflation. So we talk about inflation just in the United States, but inflation is hitting other countries globally. So we're seeing higher energy prices everywhere as the price of oil continues to rise, most notably in Japan or uh, Brazil and Mexico, Canada as well. Um, so I- inflation is. Is uh, is hitting not only the U.S. but globally, which will have an impact on the the global numbers. Um, but we did just mention the Fed, so there there will be some new faces at the Fed. So there's going to be three new governors, a new chairman, a new banking chief, and a um, new regional president. Really, the 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 three that people are looking at are Sarah Raskin, Lisa Cook and uh Philip Jefferson who are new members once they if they get confirmed by the Senate. Uh, there are some thoughts around Raskin might be the biggest change, but because um, sh- she's only one of the governors, she might not have the biggest impact and they might not be the look that Elizabeth Warren is for for crackdown on, on banking supervision because if we think about banks, they are holding significantly more assets of almost 11.4 percent compared to 2008, the assets that they're holding on um, risky assets. Um, so a little bit different there. Drew, anything else that we should be on the lookout for from the Fed or, or from these new governors and faces?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when we talk about Sarah Raskin, and she's got a history of being a regulator. But as you alluded to, the level of high-quality U.S. banks, the, of high-quality capital U.S. banks are holding is is substantially better, uh, especially much better than the financial crisis of 2008. Um, so, you know, it's the kind of what are they really worried about? Uh, what are you going to do their when their balance sheets are quite a bit better, right? So there's not necessarily the need to regulate. And even if there's additional regulations, it's, uh, you know, they're currently being met. You know, the RBC ratios are just a lot better. So
1: And the liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, deposits are at all-time highs that we're seeing in banks. And there's an unusual trend. Jonathan Gallb- Credit Suisse was on the podcast a couple or I guess our last podcast a couple weeks ago, but he talked about this reverse repo agreements and, and rates where high quality assets for cash are being exchanged. Typically, the Fed is the one lending, but now you're seeing banks lend to the Fed. So a, a little bit different there. Um, and, and that just shows how much liquidity there is in the market and how flush these banks are as cash at the moment. And so if there was a liquidity crisis, it seems like uh, these banks are, are well prepared for that. One thing to note, too, is, is we just talked about Raskin is is Cook and Jefferson. They typically have more of a dovish view of the board. So they are in favor of looser policy on interest rates. And so at a time when we are anticipating the Fed to be more hawkish and begin to start tightening rates, that might be an interesting time for for two more dovish governors to be on the board.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other week we saw Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic um, state that the Federal Reserve isn't ruling out raising interest rates by half a percentage point, uh, the, you know, double the normal quarter point um, if, if inflation continues to, to rise. So, yeah, that's that was an aggressive statement. Um, you know, he said if it's appropriate, he more or less said they're going to lean into it. So, yeah, that's definitely something to look at and, and to ponder because that would be um, – you know, right off the gate, that throw a lot of water on growth. So, yeah, <laughs> that
1: would uh, that, that would shake things up. Yeah. But we the the market is pricing in and it's, it seems like it's a moving target because we did see that the estimates the market is now expecting the central bank to raise mm-hmm. rates at least five times this year. We've talked about four, I think five is if they at, with the traditional, as you mentioned, 25 basis point hike. So if there was 50, that might mm-hmm. impact uh, items. Uh, we saw Bill Ackman believe that half a point is needed to tame inflation. Uh, and the last time that the Fed had raised by a half point was May 2000 um, when we were right in the midst of the dot-com. So interesting to
0: see if the Fed comes out the gate that hot. Uh, expect some volatility, Drew. Yeah. And and now the markets are really pricing in. And- five rate hikes this year as opposed to four from Fed Future. So, uh, yeah, there's another rate hike expected as well. Um, one thing, we we're talking about supply issues and GDP and everything else. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked about anything coming out of the Hill. Um, the Build Back Better has died a 1,000 deaths, so I'm not <laughs> going to bring that up again. But the U.S. House is looking on taking on a uh, China competition in Chips uh, bill Uh, The Senate passed it It's known as the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act Last year Uh, It includes $52 billion To increase U.S. semiconductor production And it authorizes $190 billion in U.S. R&D to help us compete with China Uh, You know Largely looking at big tech issues And um, obviously domestic Chip production So yeah, it's, it's got some squishy or I shouldn't say squishy, but it's got some soft power stuff as well. Uh, I mean, calling out China on human rights abuses, uh, their Uyghur population and and things of that nature. But I mean, it's really at its base level, a bill designed to help shore up U.S. Uh, tech production and also just invest in, in, in things that are going to help us stay competitive and throughout the rest of the 21st century
1: would have been nice to have this five years ago so they wouldn't be hitting with such a supply chain shortage yeah, yeah. of semiconductors right. and chips because that if you listen to the earnings on pretty much any manufacturing car manufacturer the big ticket item is supply chain issues especially around the semiconductors as well as the the chips so this is a good reason just for for that and to not be relying on China for these crucial pieces of, of manufacturing. But also, it's going to create a lot of jobs, which is is very important. If we think about chip manufacturing, that's here to stay. That's going to be a resilient job and an industry that that would be great for the U.S. economy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, Drew, let's let's talk and finish up here with something that has been hitting. Um, Hitting the U.S. economy of last year, and really is the the labor market. Um, so if we're thinking about America's talent wars, is the is the economic economist article, and and really what's happening? We we talked about it with Jonathan Gall, We talked about it on our webinar. But really, what's happening to the labor force? And and so everyone's paychecks are getting bigger, from people who are flipping burgers at Burger King to the bankers at uh, B of A. And and really what we see here is is that there's still 10.6 million job openings in November. That's up nearly 50% from January 2020. We always talk about people moving jobs um, to get higher pay. Um, Drew, coming into 2020, what are the biggest stats and, and items that we should be looking at when we're evaluating the labor market?
0: Well, there's a lot of trends that have been exacerbated by COVID, but are also longstanding. Um, for example, when you're looking at uh, men in the workplace, uh, there's continuing to kind of fall out. They they were 68% of men are either working or looking for work uh, in November. When we're looking at the 1950s, that was 80% of men, uh, obviously. Huge drop Yeah, off. huge drop off. Yeah. Um, 2.4 million baby boomers have been put into an early retirement uh, because of you know the huge bubbles in in house house prices and stock valuations. That's enabled a lot of people to to retire earlier than they thought. Uh, we've mentioned this before, but it's going to be tough to get those people back if if we're if we're looking to. Uh, there's been a lot of activity and discussion around unionization, uh, but at the end of the day, we're still. A, chronically under unionized country uh it's 10.3 percent of american workers um and then when you're looking at the private sector unionization rates just 6.1 but that doesn't mean workers aren't trying to bargain and doing that in the face of uh quits or kind of just like more or less word of mouth strikes you know outside of unionization right so um so, yeah, you're seeing a lot of that. But, I mean, so what are companies doing? I think that as a response, you're looking at a lot of sign-up bonuses. Those are big. Uh, they're actually – companies prefer to lean to that rather than sticky. Uh,
1: Once you give increases. someone a raise, yeah. you're not really cutting their their pay down, whereas mm-hmm. if wages stay flat or even go down after this inflation, then you're still going to be paying that that high ticket. Yep. And one point that you also made that – you talked about the men, but – for, for years and years with women entering the workplace, that has been a big growth of our labor participation, as well as the globalization and immigration. So we saw over the last since 2016, we saw that there has been less immigration into the United States, especially as we have the Republicans and Democrats fighting over visas for skilled foreigners and just immigration as a whole. That's impacting our labor participation. And then also women. We've, we've talked about it, but women staying home because because clo- schools, kids are or uh, <laughs> kids, schools are closed, mm-hmm. taking care of older people who older family members who they don't want to put in a home, a nursing home, or or anything like that because of COVID. So really, we're seeing that. And and that has made the labor market tighter. And that's why we have seen wages begin to increase, um, but not at the rate that you would anticipate.
0: Yep. Yeah, um, I mean, so wages are up, bonuses are up. I'd say one way companies are trying to accommodate our Uh, they've been easing requirements. You know, it was just a couple years ago where the joke would be you have to be under 25 with 18 years of work experience, a master's (laughs) degree, and you're getting an unpaid internship. Well, those days are long gone. It's definitely a worker's market. Um, So people are foregoing requirements on four-year education uh, or college degrees that they previously probably had. Uh, They are looking more at skills or Obviously, there's been a lot more mentorship uh, programs and job training added to companies as well to teach people skills just to, you know, trying to find a way to attract workers as much as they can. Uh, and lastly, there's been a lot more automation. So, you know, the Yang gangers out there uh, might be looking at that, you know. Uh, so, so some of it has been. Um, uh yeah, it's been the Terminator for sure. Uh, robots, but you know this. <laughs> but I mean, else. what do
1: people expect, right? People don't want to be the ones packing up packages or or taking things off the shelf and moving things, and and they were looking for higher paying, more skilled jobs. Then when they try and come back to those jobs or are looking for those jobs, and we've moved to automation, what do you expect? That's oh the yeah, I mean, is
0: moved. Yeah, ro- robots don't get sick. They don't get married. They don't have babies. <laughs> they don't take vacation. Not all yet. Of, all of the above, right? One day they might learn how to love, but uh, <laughs> we're not there yet. But, yeah, so, I mean, automation was to be expected as well. So, I mean, yeah, you have, I guess, a plethora of pros and cons, um, but there's definitely big macro shifts, you know, as, we, as we've as we discussed. Uh, what else, Grant? Did we overlook anything this week?
1: Um, the one thing that I think we should mention um, is the U.S. national debt topped $30 trillion for the first time ever, um, yeah. so that – that's something that we will probably discuss on next week's podcast. But, you know, many economists view uh, the emergency measures as necessary. They're saying that's one of the big reasons for that. But if you just look at Joe Biden's two trillion social and climate building um, that didn't pass, that would be um, another aspect. So the, the 30 trillion really is just it's it's not as significant as it seems. It's just as the U.S. economy continues to grow, our debt continues to grow
0: yeah i mean debt to gdp ratios kind of i mean they've obviously gotten higher but they've they've also been fluctuating a little bit um in 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 at least the recent months so uh, that's obviously the big big number looking at vitality of you know assets and liabilities um so yeah the sticker shock is obviously always great but but there's other things to keep in context as well um and yeah, I mean, it's it's not great, obviously, going into a period of higher interest rates with a number like that. But yeah, but yeah, um, you know, in terms of what what I, I'd be on the lookout for is, um, you know, I, you see a lot of borrowers trying to get the last of low mortgage rates uh, recently. Um, I mean, we're you know, with with higher interest rates, you're going to see some corrections in home values. Uh, and that's obviously been one of the largest assets uh, that's that's priced a lot of people out of the market, but it has also led to big gains for, for people in mid markets and uh, all across the kind of the center of the country.
1: Yeah. Typically when you see interest rates rise, you see housing prices go down a little bit, not as much as you think. And that's just because it's not as cheap to borrow. So people are not going to be
0: uh, leveraging themselves mm-hmm. as much. And, uh, well, thanks for tuning in everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week. um, And, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellfest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by Wellfest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.